Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone. And welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 47th episode of 2021. Well, it's hard to believe that it's already December, and despite a, the holidays, a lot is going on. On the Hill, we expect Jessica Rosenworcel, the FCC chairwoman's nomination to be approved in committee today. Her nomination will then go to the floor, providing that the committee vote goes smoothly. Also today, the Senate confirmation hearings for Gigi Soam for the remaining open seat at the FCC and for Alan Davidson to head, to head NTIA are also scheduled for today. You know, I'm very excited that the Fiber Broadband Association's premier members meeting and our board meeting will be held next week in DC. At our premier members meeting on Tuesday, we will have Dun, Doug Kinkoff of NTIA is one of our guest speakers. Doug is responsible for rolling out the $46 billion in broadband funding that NTIA is responsible for administering. This includes the $42.5 billion for the Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, also known as B, the $2 billion for Tribal Broadband Connectivity Program, and a billion dollars for enabling the Middle Mile Infrastructure Program. In addition to Doug, we'll hear, be hearing from Congressman Bob Latta who is the Republican leader for the Communications and Technology Subcommittee from the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Congressman Latta will share with us his insights on what the Communications and Technology Subcommittee will be working on in 2022 and how that relates to you. Also on Tuesday, Mike Render will be rolling out his latest research on fiber deployment. I've reviewed this study and it has some extremely interesting and surprising results. I cannot wait to see you all in person on Monday night at, on Capitol Hill. It's going to be a great series of meetings. Speaking of exciting discussions, this morning's Five for Breakfast session is with the man at Corning who will share with us how the industry can unlock this historic opportunity in front of us and the innovation for the next wave of growth. And good morning. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we met with Dave Allen and Erickson to discuss the one network is finally here. It's exciting to see the network converge underpinned by fiber infrastructure. And today's discussion is with Mike Bell, the guy who runs Corning's optical communications operations. And today's topic is unlocking a historic opportunity, innovations for the next wave of growth. Mike was appointed Senior Vice President and General Manager of Corning's Optical Communications in April 2020. In this role, Mike has end-to-end responsibilities for the Optical Communications Market Access Platform, including fiber optic and cable, optical connectivity solutions, and optical commercial operations. Mike joined Corning in 1991 as a process engineer for the telecommunications cable plant in Hickory, North Carolina. Subsequently, he's held various positions in manufacturing and engineering, and prior to joining Corning, Mike served as a submariner war, or submarine warfare, warfare officer in the U.S. Navy. He holds a master's in business administration from UNC in Chapel Hill, 
and has a Bachelor's of Science in Electrical Engineering from West Virginia University. So welcome, Mike. And for our audience, please type in your questions as you go for our Q&A at the end of the presentation. With that, over to you, Mike. Thank you, Gary, for your introduction. And uh, first and foremost, we're grateful for this invitation and grateful for our long and productive partnership with the Fiber Broadband Association, you know, the artist formerly known as the Fiber of the Home Council. A little bit about me. I lead Corning's optical communications business, which is the largest business segment of Corning Incorporated, one of the world's leading innovators in material science. We have about 50,000 employees all around the world, and at the core of what we do is invent, make, and sell. We're not really a consumer business, at least haven't been for a long time, so many people don't know about our long and storied track record of innovation. So for over 170 years now, Corning's inventions have been vital to moving the world forward. From the glass casement for Thomas Edison's light bulb to the tough, thin cover glass on your mobile device, to the glass pharmaceutical packaging that's so critical to fight against COVID-19. In optical communications business, we just celebrated last year our 50th anniversary of Corning's invention of low-loss optical fiber, which ushered in the telecommunications revolution. This year, of course, marks another anniversary. It was 20 years ago that Corning and other industry players joined to form what was then the Fiber to the Home Council to unite the industry around what was then a revolutionary idea, fiber all the way to the consumer. The challenge at that time was, how do you do this at scale? How do you deploy fiber directly to the premises efficiently enough to pass millions of homes a year? So working with our customers, Corning in 2004, introduced a solution that eliminates the need for splicing in the field, the first fully pre-connectorized solution for fiber to the home. So today, Corning's pre-con solutions have passed more than 58 million homes around the world. We continue to introduce innovations to help our customers speed their deployments at lower costs, and that's really highly relevant in uh, capability today in a time of labor constraint, which I'm sure we've all experienced. Today, I think it's clear that we stand at another pivotal moment. Our industry, we believe, is in the early stages of a major growth cycle, which is, I think, what Gary was saying at the opening. The Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act signed into law just last year is a historic step forward, particularly for our unserved and underserved communities. It allocates $65 billion in new spending for broadband, of which 42, that's the 42.5 that Gary just mentioned, uh, will go towards new infrastructure connecting as many as, we believe, 40 million homes over the next few years. To me, the excitement around this growth is reminiscent of those early days of fiber to the home, except that today it's fiber to the everything. With connectivity increasing, uh, increasingly central to the way we live, it's no surprise that access to broadband is, is coming to be seen as a fundamental human right. At Corning, we believe bringing more connections to more people in more places is not simply good business. It's expanding the bandwidth of human potential. Today, I want to tell you about why the current growth cycle, just like in those early days, presents both opportunity and challenge, and how we at Corning are thinking about this moment of great possibility. Already with the surge we're seeing in network demand, it's remarkable, with more growth to come. One study found that broadband usage is up 32% versus pre-pandemic figures, and up 10% compared to a year ago, 
when work from home and remote schooling were at their peaks. So not only did it grow significantly from prior growth, growth rates, but it continues to grow. So it's not like it peaked and declined. It continues to grow from that, that new uh, growth point that we saw during the pandemic. Uh, network devices around the globe are expected to total around 29 billion in 2023, outnumbering humans by more than three to one. And in the second quarter of this year, the total number of mobile subscriptions was about 8 billion, more than one for every person on the planet. All this brings opportunity, but it also brings challenges to network operators, challenges of deploying at speed and at scale. So let me share with you how Corning is responding. We believe the key to success in this time of great challenge and opportunity are exactly what propelled our industry's growth in the early days of fiber to the home. The first of those keys is innovation. And I'll talk briefly about some of our recent innovations in fiber, cable, and connectivity. This year, we introduced SMF28 Contour Fiber, which is the first to combine superior bendability, compatibility with legacy fibers in the network, and low loss. The bendability helps optimize reach in densely cabled environments. The compatibility with legacy fibers as a network helps minimize corrective splice loss work, and the low attenuation delivers longer reach and wider access network coverage. That fiber innovation goes hand in hand with new cables we introduced this year, the latest addition to our MiniXtend cable line. The compact MiniXtend XD cable provides installers with greater flexibility in tighter spaces without sacrificing fiber density or deployment speed. It allows operators to pack in more fibers per duct, and provides installers with much faster cable access compared to traditional designs. And you can see here, you know, one of our uh, sort of hallmarks, this fast access jacket. So if you don't like, you know, getting into cables, we've made it so it's super easy and you can even do it without tools now. On the connectivity side, last year we introduced our Evolve platform, which builds on our legacy of pre-connectorized solutions. I mentioned earlier that Corning helped kick off the age of fiber to the home with innovations that moved splicing from the field to the factory. That was a breakthrough development, helped operators scale up their deployments quickly. Today, the constrained labor market is a key concern. And so many people expect the competition for labor to tighten even further as a wide array of projects funded by the Infrastructure Act get underway. And uh, that's another reason speed and ease of deployment continue to be a focus of our innovation based on what we believe we're hearing from all of you. Uh, the Evolve platform, which we introduced last year, meets those needs. Evolve takes the terminals from about the size of a mailbox to the size of a cell phone. Gary mentioned uh, I went to West Virginia, so I like really humble and simple analogies for size and scale of things. Try fitting a mailbox into one of those uh, small handholds and you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, and it takes connectors from about the diameter of a broomstick down to that of a pencil. Uh, the compact size makes it easier to install fiber in smaller spaces, which can reduce the civil cost of terminal deployments. In fact, we've done a lot of studies and, and it, it can be up to a $500 per location savings. And we're, we're glad to share some of that information with you if you're interested. You can reuse existing infrastructure in an existing copper pedestal, for example, you can deploy in a self-support manner on a strand or in a facade uh, with minimal visual impact, which can decrease approval time by building owners. In fact, you know, in some places where we even see historic buildings, people don't mind uh, these terminals to be deployed right on the side of the building. It's pretty inconspicuous. 
Okay, uh, next page. That gives you a little bit of our connectivity innovations. Something I'm sure you're all interested in is capacity. So another way Corning is addressing the next wave of growth is through investments in capacity. As we all know, the acceleration network investment around the world has created significant capacity pressures in our industry. At the same time, raw material shortages, transportation challenges are disrupting supply chains. Corning is proactively addressing both of these challenges. We're investing in capacity to support our customers' growth plans while leveraging our diverse global supply chain to mitigate the impact of supply disruptions. And I'm sure we'll have some questions about that in the Q&A section. This year, we've announced investments in both fiber and cable manufacturing, and we're adding and expanding facilities, adding equipment and ramping up production, and these investments are continuing. And I'll talk about some of the details of that uh, during the Q&A round. Another key issue is industry collaboration, and the Fiber Broadband Association is a foundation and fundamental way that we do that with all of you. As an industry, we should continue to promote fiber as the only true future-ready communications infrastructure with its near-infinite bandwidth and reliability. New records are set for the amount of information that can flow over a single optical fiber each year. Today, a single strand of optical fiber, thinner than a human hair, has the capacity to stream 4,000 movies at the same time. So in the most networks where IP traffic can grow almost boundlessly without ever upgrading the fiber, and amazingly, optical fiber costs less per meter than fishing line or kite string. Another two simple examples. Um, we as an industry should also continue to promote the value of symmetrical broadband networks because increasingly people are uploading as much information as they're downloading. This conference we're on right now is a prime example of that. I'm sure you've been on conferences where you lose the link, it's very frustrating. And that's because, you know, frankly, the connection you have is probably not symmetrical and doesn't have enough capacity to sustain that video stream. We believe network architectures will have to keep pace as this kind of symmetry becomes the norm. Now, this may seem a little unusual, but to fuel the next wave of innovation, we're also investing in education. This year, we kicked off a five-year partnership with North Carolina A&T State University, the nation's largest historically black college or university, by donating $5.5 million for scholarships, including STEM. Together, we'll help AT&T continue to attract the best students and help fuel Corning with the diverse talent needed for another 170 years of life-changing innovation. This is something I'm personally very passionate about. We believe to be relevant. We need to look like the communities uh, in which we serve and operate. And we believe, you know, uh, DNA and intelligence is equally distributed. So we want to tap into every single pool so, we get the, so that we get the best and brightest talent uh, to help us move forward. So what are we working on next? For one thing, we're energized by the unprecedented investment in the works to bring broadband to our rural communities. We're applying our best innovative thinking to address the real and pervasive challenges with rural deployments. We see tremendous opportunity to deploy rural networks faster, cheaper, and with less labor. This requires turning the existing model on its head though and looking at all parts of the business model. In fact, I'd like to make a pitch to you today if you're an open-minded and entrepreneurial provider willing to innovate alongside of us, we wanna work with you. And I'm serious when I say, get in touch with us. Together we can bring life to an idea that could result in completely new ecosystems. 
Will Rogers once said, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. As an industry, we're on the right track, but we need to keep moving, keep experimenting and keep evolving. So this is a challenge that I think that we're all up to. And if you're interested in working with us to try and figure out new and innovative ways to solve this problem, then please get in touch with me. And this is sort of the, the wrap up page of my presentation, then we'll go to Q&A. You know, in the same way as when we first came together as an industry 20 years ago to envision fiber in the home, uh, we're looking ahead to the next 20 years as optical technology supports applications that haven't even been thought of yet. The keys to our success in those earliest years, investing in innovation and in capacity and in industry collaboration and in our people will remain the keys to our industry success in the next years to come. Corning's gonna be there, expanding the bandwidth of human potential, and we look forward to the next stages of our journey together. So thank you very much. And I'll flip it back to Gary for a Q&A session. Thanks, Mike. No, this is super interesting. Um, so critical question. So when you're in a Navy, what subs did you serve on? <laughs> Most critical question. I served on the USS uh, John Adams and the USS Lewis and Clark. And uh, those were part of the, what were called the 41 for Freedom, the original uh, submarine uh, SSBNs or boomers. Uh, so yeah, that was, that's the answer to that question. Well, thanks, Mike. I know that um, everybody appreciates you keeping our nation safe, not only in subs, but also with uh, security and fiber. So thank you for that. Other, another critical question, this is really important, is if West Virginia is playing the Tar Heels in football, who do you root for? <laughs> well, if it's football, it would be West Virginia. If it's basketball, it would be North Carolina. So there you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went to school 15 miles down, uh, 15501 from you. So I, I would, it's ABC, anybody but Carolina from my family. <laughs> well, I can't completely uh, divorce myself from Carolina since my daughter went there also. So it's kind of hard to avoid that uh, outcome if you're a North Carolina resident because it's. Uh, such a, a good school and so inexpensive, so. Oh, very good. Hey, so um, a couple of questions have come in. So when you talked about your capacity expansion, um, in terms of FKM, I'm assuming that's uh, fiber and kilometers, um, how much are you expanding? Yeah, so we don't talk about our specific capacity numbers, even with this group. Uh, what I can say is this though, um, you know, I've been in the business for 30 years. And I've never seen demand on this scale that we're seeing now. And I've never seen us invest in capacity as broadly as we're doing right now. And frankly, as the industry is doing right now. Uh, we announced in September that we're investing $150 million in optical cable manufacturing in North Carolina. Probably most people saw that, adding in those 200 jobs. And you can use your own sort of model and calculator to figure out how many FKM or cabled uh, kilometers that might be. Um, this adds to other investments that we announced in 2020, though, which are now ramping up. So what I'm saying is we're ramping capacity we had announced before, and we're already announcing capacity we plan to add in the middle of the ramp of the capacity that we're adding already. So that should give people a, a sense for the magnitude of what we're doing. Um, I'd also say on the fiber side, uh, we announced plans in April to build a state-of-the-art optical fiber manufacturing facility in Mashanov, Poland. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm gonna answer that question. Um, that's driven by growing demand for optical fiber products in Europe, 
and the surrounding regions. And as we add more fiber capacity in other places, that will free up U.S. capacity for U.S. demand. And, and fundamentally, we believe um, there are a lot of exports from by us and by a lot of fiber providers on optical fiber itself, not for cable, in the U.S. And we believe there's enough capacity largely in the U.S. fiber market to handle this surge, uh, but we have to free up you know, capacity that we're serving other customers around the world from to be able to service that. That's why we're building in Poland. Right now. Okay, so as far as, um... Maybe you can talk just briefly to the importance, you know, as we're building up critical infrastructure for the U.S. Um, to buy your fiber from domestic manufacturers or from countries that are our ally countries. Can you say anything yes. about that? Or? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that the, um, the new infrastructure bill has a Buy American provision, uh, which basically says that... Um, First and foremost, uh, anybody that gets this funding should buy from an American source. And then if American source is not available, then you can move to our trading partners. Uh, we believe that's important because, you know, I think the, the name of the bill was the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And a big part of what this spending and other spending going on is doing is creating jobs in the U.S. And so I, I, we really believe that uh, a couple of things. One, U.S. taxpayers want U.S. jobs to be created with their taxpayer dollars, not jobs in other places. And we believe that we as an industry can do this. Um, as I said, we think there's enough fiber capacity in the U.S. market. That's why we're supplementing with fiber capacity for other markets. But on the cable front, we're expanding and uh, the entire industry is expanding right now. And I think as everybody probably in the call knows, uh, we believe cable is a regional uh, product. Um, there are regional standards. And just from a, a simple logistics perspective, it's really expensive to ship cable around the world. It's an inefficient, heavy good, um, similar to car manufacturing. Most auto manufacturers decide to move close to a market to make cars. It's the same thing with cable. And uh, all of our competitors here in the U.S., a, a vast majority of the cable consumed in the U.S. is made right here in the United States. Some of it may be made in Mexico or Canada, but generally speaking, in the U.S. And so that's we think that's important. That's why we're investing in capacity in the U.S. to support that U.S. demand. And we believe uh, the industry is doing the same. Yeah, so I think just to kind of, I think you've answered a lot of this, but let me just uh, make sure I get this. So at a macro level, is the industry going to be able to supply enough cable over the next three years to meet not only demand from B, but as well as the initiatives in UK, Germany, Italy, and Poland. That's right. Like all those other initiatives that you're mentioning, uh, if you think about it from, I, I, we think about it from two perspectives. There's the fiber itself that is within the cables. And of course, we, we're, we're uh, the largest optic fiber manufacturer in the world. So yeah, we're very familiar with what's going on in the fiber market itself. We supply fiber to make cables ourselves, and we supply fiber to a lot of our competitors that make cable as well. And so there are two different things. Question number one on fiber is, there is sufficient fiber capacity in the U.S. for this demand from the U.S. and from the U.S. government funding. Um, there is a need for additional global capacity. And I believe, you know, I know we are, we mentioned what we're doing in Poland and others are investing in optical fiber in other places in the world to support places like you mentioned earlier, the, the U.K. initiative, uh, the, the initiatives in um, Pan-Europe, um, Italy, and, and the like. And of course, there are other initiatives in other countries and other regions around the world, too. But yes, 
we believe there's some need for additional fiber and we're investing in other places to serve those places and we believe there's enough fiber capacity in the u.s to serve the u.s needs on the cable front it's the same thing but a little different fiber is more of a global uh product it's not as expensive to move around the world so it's a little bit you know it's a little more expensive because from a logistics perspective but it's possible to ship fiber around the world a lot more easily than cable and fiber is a pretty global standardized product cable is regional in nature and much heavier and harder to ship around. And so uh, when, it, when it comes to the cable demand in Europe, we're gonna be serving that out of our European manufacturing facilities. To answer your question more directly. Yeah, so kind of building on that, the next question is, do you see lead times increasing or decreasing in the next few years? And you know, do you have an order of magnitude that you can um, share on that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated question for the entire industry because let's just say, for example, lead times are X and we invest heavily, but others don't. Well, then more demand comes to us and then we can't predict exactly what's going to happen with lead time as a result. So hopefully you'll bear with me on this. But we are already investing in capacity and that investment is coming online now and in the beginning of next year. So that by itself should cause lead times to decline through the year during 2022. We're also, we just announced other investments, which will be coming online in late 2022. So as those come online, then we'll have even more capacity available. And you can look at other players in the market, they're doing similar kinds of investments. So if I pull out my forecaster hat, I think lead times are gonna improve through 2022 and even further into 2023. Now, order of magnitude, it's hard to predict. I mean, our normal lead time, what we would prefer our lead time to be is a month. It's much longer than that right now. I think our lead times are pretty consistent with everyone else's are right now based on our intel. They're much longer than we want them to be. And that's why we're adding all this capacity to make sure that we're able to afford every customer a much better experience. Like for now, and I think this goes without saying, get your orders in early to make sure that you have your place in line. That's, I think that's what unfortunately is happening you know, presently. Well, I think what's really been useful is uh, the government uh, getting this law passed um, with the $65 billion, because I think that provides everybody with a lot of visibility. It gives us more certainty in the market and allows everybody, for you guys to build out more capacity and everybody be able to get their orders in quicker. So um, hopefully that will help everything. Um, Adi, here's another question about um, on the innovation side. Does Corning work with uh, Nokia's Bell Labs at all? And if so, how closely? Yeah, we, we collaborate with Nokia, with Ericsson, with virtually every major provider. Uh, no matter what they're doing, we try to collaborate in a way that makes sure that you know the transmission sources and the medium all work in concert with each other. And so, yeah, we have pretty deep collaborations with those, uh, with Nokia as well as with lots of other labs and standards bodies all around the world. A uh, question came in, who do you feel, or do you guys view as your number one competitor? Yeah, that would be, you know, it's almost like, you know, um, uh, it, it, the answer is it depends. Um, and if you look at the fiber market, it's a consortium. If you look at the biggest fiber makers in the world, it would be, you know, ourselves, Prismian and, uh, the largest fiber makers in the world are tending to be more uh, um, Chinese, but of course we deeply respect all the, the three major uh, Japanese makers as well. So, I mean, it's hard to say who's number one. You know, we believe we're number one, and uh, 
and uh, you know we we respect all of our competitors uh, in, in a way that you know that, that we should. And on the cable side, it's a lot broader than that. Um, a lot of the fiber makers are also cable makers, and then there are others that don't make their own fiber uh, that do make cable. Um, Comscope would be one example of that. They, they don't make their own fiber, but they're a customer of ours, and they're a customer of you know many other fiber makers in the world. So it's hard to say who our number one competitor is, but uh, you know we want to be super competitive. And we want to be the number one choice of all of our customers. Well, the good news is we're in an environment where it's not about competition anymore. It's about locking arms and having the whole industry, uh, you know, like they say, the rising tide lifts all boats and uh, there's enough CapEx for everybody. And so we need to really focus on digital equity and making sure that everybody's connected. Um, with that, I know you had thrown out the offer to work with people. Um, so the question came in is, um, you know, would they contact you directly or what, who would they contact? And yeah, you can contact directly and then I'll, you know we'll redirect those contacts to the people in our industry in our business that can uh, get back to them you know if you need my email it's bellma at corning.com pretty easy all right well mike thank you guys for everything that you're doing to help really get this industry connected to fiber and uh, we certainly appreciate uh, all your contributions at the fiber broadband association um, so with that uh, i'd like to um, you know, our next week, we're going to be talking about the time to build, removing barriers to an accelerated broadband deployment with Alexander Turgot, the president of the Permitting Institute. He's going to discuss how permitting could be the roadblock that stalls fiber deployment and the path forward to enable fiber to be deployed to all Americans. So you guys aren't going to want to miss that. We look forward to seeing everybody in D.C. at our premier members meeting Monday night and Tuesday. And uh, thanks again, Mike. Really appreciate you coming on, and we'll see everybody next Wednesday or in D.C. earlier.